0: Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father, indeed, if we were to sit down and count our blessings, they would amount to far more than what we think sometimes. and we thank you for the many bounties that you have showered upon us and as we said time would be <clears throat> would not allow us to try to enumerate them all but we thank you most of all for the fact that you are god we thank you for electing love that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the sacrifice of Christ for which He gave His life for us. We thank you for. <clears throat> bringing us out of the pig pen and drawing us unto you and giving us some insight of your majesty, of your grace, of your mercy, and of your tender love toward us. We pray, our God, that You would bless us to devote our lives unto You. We fail miserably. We know all too well the warfare that Paul described in Romans 7. And we can come to the conclusion With him when he cried out, O wretched man that I am. And then he asked the question as to who it would be that would deliver him. And then he answered that it was through the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. This too is our testimony. For without Christ, we have nothing, we are nothing. Only fuel fit for the flames of eternal destruction. And therefore we can be like the, the father of the prodigal not only with regard to children, one's own child and children, but to friends as one that would wait with anticipation to hear of one coming to himself And rising up and going unto you and bowing before you no doubt if the father of the prodigal had been living in the day in which we live every text message every phone call every form of communication email he might look forward to see if there's some glimpse of indication that He who once was dead was alive. We live in a land of corruption, and we believe our God, a land under which Your judgment is upon us. I pray that You might Bring repentance to the nation if it would seem good in your sight. I know you can, if you will. Our hearts go out to those that are laboring in the snowstorms. And even those whose families to the families of those who have lost their lives as a result of it. Again, we pray for the sick that we mentioned earlier and ask for healing mercies for them. We pray for faithful men who stand to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ and pray our God that you would Raise up more men that are faithful to you, to your word. and That you would bless the preaching of the gospel. You might raise up another Jeremiah. But there was not mass conversions under the ministry of Jeremiah. It was a ministry of judgment. we seem to think that every minister that is raised up to to preach the everlasting gospel that would always bring abounding results. And while we do not want to make excuses for our own sins and shortcomings and failures, we recognize that Thou art God. And every one of your precious sheep will ultimately be in the fold, and none shall be lost. And our darling Saviors will rise up before you and say, Behold, I and the children whom Thou hast given me. Now bless us as we endeavor to study Your Word, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We come today to the second chapter of 1 John, and I will just go ahead and read the entire chapter, though I doubt that we'll get past the first two verses uh, this morning, but uh, Just trying to keep it somewhat in context, though if we wanted to keep it fully in the context, we would read chapter 1, or at least the last three verses of chapter 1, and come on in to chapter 2, but we'll just follow the chapter headings that we have here. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment, which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, Even now are there many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye you know the truth, but because, excuse me, I have not written unto you because ye you know not the truth, but because ye you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now little children abide in him that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. If ye you know that He is righteous, ye you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Now we come back to chapter 2, <clears throat> the beginning of it. And we must remember that the chapter divisions that are in our Bible and the verses were not in the original documents. And yet uh, these verses and chapter divisions are very beneficial in our studying particularly at times like when we're preaching, it would be hard for me to say, all right, now uh, find the place where it says in the First uh, John, my little children, these things write I unto you. In other words, if you didn't have the ch- chapter divisions or you didn't have the verses, you'd have to c- kind of look through the paragraph and find where it is. And... Uh, <clears throat> You wouldn't be able to do a Google search and type in uh, just a little phrase and find it and go right to it. So there is a benefit to this in studying and preaching, and as we do here. However, there are times when close attention, uh, if if it's not given to the overall context, one will miss. The full understanding of what the Lord is teaching in his word. And here could be one of the cases uh, because in the beginning of chapter two we find that without considering and inner and including the overall context of the preceding verses, especially verses eight through ten you might miss the full impact of what is being taught here. And with that being the case, I want to go back and read chapter 1, verse 8, through verse 2 of chapter 2, and set it somewhat in its context. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we're going to take up basically basically these first two verses now. I will say this. I probably should have given you this before I read that. But here's my overall outline for the chapter. Verses 1 and 2 is... Showing our advocate. Verses 3 through 6, keeping his commandments. Verses 7 through 11, the new commandment. Verses 12 through 14, the stages of a child of God. Verses 15 through 23, love not the world. And then verses twenty-four through twenty-nine, abiding in the things of God. That's kind of how I've broken it down. Verses one and two, we're talking about Christ, our advocate. Like I said, the last three verses of chapter one makes it plain that we are sinners. We're not only sinners by nature, but we're also sinners by practice. If you remember, we uh, read last Lord's Day <clears throat> from Augustus Lady, where he estimated that we sin probably one time a second. And he calculated... Uh, how many sins it would be if you lived 10 years of age and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 80 years of age, uh, likening that to the national debt in his day. And top lady calculated that the national debt in his day in England would never be paid. And the national debt in England then was far, far less than what ours is today. But anyway, and then we read from J.B. Moody's little book, Sin, Service, and Salvation. Or maybe Sin, Salvation, and Service. I always get that mixed up. Where he showed how one sin is multiplied various ways. And if I remember correctly, I'd have to get my notes out. But if I remember correctly, the sin of lying was some 500 and... Uh, different ways that it could be uh, done. And, and he pointed out that when a man uh, puts a lying advertisement in the paper, <coughs> and he said, as well as I would say, have you ever saw any other kind of sign that wasn't lying? Uh, but uh, in the paper... That he not only told a lie when he had the paper to print it, but his desire was that everybody read it. So he had a desire to lie to the to every individual. You know, going back to Matthew five, that if we hate our brother without a cause, or if we uh, lust after a woman with uh, you know we're adulterer in our heart or a murderer in our heart, in other words, the desire to commit the sin is sinful, and so not only every time uh not only did he desire everybody to read it, he lied he wanted to lie to everybody, but for every edition of the paper, and for everyone who read it in the paper. He showed how that that lie was multiplied uh, many, many, many times. It's not just one lie. And if you also remember that uh, Moody pointed out that uh, we talk about sins of omission and sins of commission, that it's not just one or the other, but both are involved at the same time. Because if if I... do not love my neighbor as I ought, then I'm also not loving God. And so, or if I, well, let me rephrase that, if I lie against my neighbor, that's a sin of commission. But it's also a sin of omission by the fact that I did not fulfill the law of God. So, our sins are complicated, and to say the least. And we pointed that out that every individual is a sinner, not only by nature, but he also commits sin. However, a child of grace does not habitually practice sin. Now what I mean by that, <clears throat> for example, a man may struggle with anger. And as we say sometimes, he flies off the handle at times. Yet he strives, if he's a child of God, he strives to hold it in. Though he does not do, uh, always do it, but he doesn't continually just fly off the handle we might say that that would be that man's besetting sin. You say, well, how often? Well, I can't say that. That's for God to say. But I believe that a child of grace generally knows when he's trying to overcome the sin that he oftentimes Finds himself doing, and he hates. He hates. You remember the Apostle Paul said, "That that I do, I hate. That that I do, I hate." You say, "Well, if you really hated it, you wouldn't do it." Well, if you know the complexity of a uh, of a sinner that is born again by the Holy Spirit, uh, you can very well understand what Paul was. Talking about. <clears throat> and so, while this man anger resides in him, he may not have any problem with anything else. <laughs> I just thought of something humorously. Uh, Brother Zach, uh, when he was a child and his parents were still alive, by the time he was, I believe, was 17, both of his parents had died, and uh, uh, his siblings were left mainly to his responsibility. And they they lived out their lives at home. And but anyway, uh, prior to that, they had a housekeeper. Uh, I almost called her name, uh, but I've heard Brother Zach talk about it so many times. But anyway. Uh, she told uh, uh, his father, his name was Bossy, uh, and uh, but anyway, she said, Mister Guest said you don't have to worry about me. Said I'm as honest as the days long. Said I won't steal anything. You can leave your money laying around or in your possession. Said everything be just fine. But I will steal bananas. <laughs> so anyway, uh, she she had a weakness for bananas, and uh, so uh, we all have our weaknesses, and they're usually not humorous. They are. Great, great detriments. You know, we don't think about covetous as being uh, so bad. But if the only person, the, uh, if he was a covetous man, he'd go to hell for being covetous. When he may have all the other moral virtues, if he doesn't know Christ, and he's a covetous man, covetousness, will send him to hell. For as Colossians tells us, covetousness is as the sin of idolatry. So children, when you're wanting things that you shouldn't have, you're also an idolater. You're also an idolater. You need to keep that in mind. Also verses 8 through 10 in the chapter 1 shows that the result of our confession of sin that we have forgiveness because of God's faithfulness. We don't have forgiveness because of confession. Though If you don't confess, there's no evidence you'll be forgiven. But God doesn't forgive you because you confess, He forgives you because of the blood of Christ. And that's what we must ever keep in mind, and we tried to cover that when we covered those verses. However, the verse instructs us not to sin. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. We are commanded not to sin. Now, the temptation is, that since God will forgive us our sins, as we find out in found out in chapter one, so we just go ahead and sin and God will forgive us. Well that's not necessarily the truth. You know, we can become Roman Catholic by practice. You know, say, so, Well, God says He'll forgive us our sins if we confess, I'll go ahead and commit sin and I'll confess. No, that's not that's not true. Just you know, the Roman Catholics believe they can go ahead and sin and, and then they can go to the priest and the priest will absolve them. Well the priest cannot forgive them for any sin. I can't forgive your sin. I remember one time, or this reminds me. Of many years ago, a close relation of mine was in the hospital and he was wondering about the outcome and I sensed that he wanted to try to start listing off a bunch of sins of his youth. He had already given evidence that he was a child of grace, in my opinion. Of course, my opinion is not worth God's opinion. But I hindered him from doing so. That if he had any sins to confess, he needed to confess them to God and not to me. Now, he wasn't talking about sins against me that he needed to confess. You know, sometimes people on their deathbed, they think that if they confess their sins to a preacher, then that's good enough. Well, it's not good enough. And so I wanted to point him in the proper direction And yet at the same time, there there's forgiveness of sin. And there's only one sin that I know of that Jesus said no man would have forgiveness and that was blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And I personally do not think that can be done today because of what... Uh, our Lord said about that from the Gospel of Mark. Let me see if I can find that right quickly while I'm at it. I heard a young man preach on that particular sin several years ago. He knew my position and he named my position. He he didn't think it was that. He thought it was unbelief. And... Uh, but anyway, I told him he did such a good job if I didn't believe what I believed, <laughs> I'd have to believe what he believed. But uh, uh, I thought I knew which chapter. Which, oh, I'm in Matthew, no wonder. Uh, I think it's in Mark chapter 10, but I'm not sure. If I can't find it quickly, I'll go on. I can't find it. But it, in other words, the, the implication to me is that they, they had seen Jesus perform the miracles and they accused Him of performing the miracles by the Elzebub. Well, I wish I could. I'm not seeing it, but anyway, I can look it up later. But the thing about it is that, as far as we're concerned, all sin is forgivable. Through the propitiatory righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but at the same time, we must never, ever use the grace of God for an excuse for our sins. Jude four reminds us, uh, warns us against this. The command. The command here in chapter 2 verse 1 is not to sin. He didn't recommend that you not sin. We're commanded not to sin. We're commanded not to sin. The gold is endless perfection. Now I know some people don't think the verses we're going to read really applies to us, but I can't get around it. But look in Matthew chapter five. First of all, Matthew chapter five, the end is sinless perfection. That's what God expects out of all of us. Some people say, "Well, God doesn't require of you what you can't do." Well, he tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and all our strength, and we can't do it. And yet he tells us to do it. But in Matthew chapter 5, I'll just read verse 48 without reading the whole context. You can do that later. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Now I know that the word perfect oftentimes in the Scriptures means to be mature. In other words, we talk about children being immature. An adult, after they've gotten to a certain age, we say they are a mature individual. They're perfect. And the Scripture uses it that way sometimes. But I don't think this is just saying, be ye mature as your Father is mature. Be ye as sinless as your Father is sinless. If you'll remember one of the passages that we read in 1 John chapter 2, that it said that we are to walk even as Christ walked. And we'll get to that Later on. First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one and verse sixteen. Peter said, Because it is written, well, excuse me, let's go back up to verse fourteen. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And that was written in Leviticus chapter 11. Verses, uh, verse forty-four. I'm gonna turn there and read it right quick. You cannot hear God's word too much. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. But what is the reason that God said for us to be holy as He is holy? He said, for I am God. You know, sometimes parents have to tell their children. When the children, when the parents tell them something to do, they may ask why. Said because I said so. And that's a valid answer. That's a valid answer. Obviously, the parent usually tries to uh, teach the child and so on. But sometimes it's just because I said so. And we've lost that in the age in which we live. We've lost that in the age in which we live. But that's another subject. So he says in this verse, as we pointed out before, his, object, object, ob, uh, his reason for writing this is that they sin not. That they sin not. But John is not demanding with harsh rules and regulations. Notice he is imploring them as a wise father does his child. He addresses them as little children. My little children, I write unto you that ye sin sin not. This word for little children is the Greek word technion and it's only found nine times in the New Testament and seven out of the nine times is found in 1 John. The two times that it's not is ones in the Gospel of John and the others in Galatians. So I want to just read the verses. John thirteen thirty three. John thirteen thirty three. Little children. Yet a little while I am with you, you shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, you cannot come. So now I say unto you. And then he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. That you'll see a connection with this, I believe, later on in First John, <clears throat> talking about the new commandment. Next is in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Now you remember that when we studied through the book of Galatians, Paul. Use the word often, brothers, brethren, brethren, talking about children of God. But in First John, we see this word in at naturally in uh, chapter two, verse one. Then in verse twelve, I write unto you, little children. Now I'm going to. Throw something in as a side note, which we'll come back to later, but in verse thirteen when he talks about little children there's a different word we'll, and' we'll, that's very important in understanding that section of passage that section of scripture but in verse uh, twenty eight chapter two and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before He met His coming. First John 3, 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth, righteous is righteous, doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. Then in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. And then chapter 5, verse 21. Then the last verse, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. So it appears that God, by inspiration, is has used this word, uh, technion, to just denote the people of God. He's not talking about Uh, a category. He's talking about God's children. And I could say unto you, little children love God. Little children. After all, we're supposed to somewhat be like little children. But uh, I don't want to chase that rabbit. And we as ministers should ever be uh, mindful of the fact that in addressing sinners, that we are to encourage you to walk in holiness. A very profound passage of Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 in verse 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, we must not only not steal, that is, cleansing ourselves from the flesh, But we should also do everything within our power to not want to steal. Perfect the Spirit as well. There's a warfare that goes on. Not only outwardly, but inwardly. And we will ever have this warfare. We will ever have this warfare. But we must remember to encourage you as little children. God's children. We're not ministers up here uh, presenting ourselves as some self-righteous individual, and we don't have any sins. And you better do this, and you better do that, and and so on. And you need to follow what I say and do what I say. No, no. The old saying goes: I put my pants on just like you do, one leg at a time. And I'm in need of the same grace of God that you are. In fact, when I study this out, oftentimes I'm convicted. And when I'm preaching it, I'm convicted. So I get it to sometimes a double dose of these things as I preach it unto you. But we will continually find throughout this epistle various examples of exhortations regarding sin and not sinning. And you probably noticed that when we, when we read through the epistle earlier. And 1 John 3 4 defines sin as the transgression of the law. 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. You want to know what sin is? It's violating or not doing the law of God. In fact, the word, the phrase in that verse, the phrase, the transgression of the law, is actually a translation from one Greek word, That is literally anomia. Anomia. It's the Greek word namos for word, uh, uh, for law, excuse me. (laughs) I'll get it right in a minute. And the alpha privative on the front of it, which means against. So sin is just simply not doing the law. Not doing the law. And so we could actually read, whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the law, for sin is anomia. Sin is anomia. It's being against the law. Children, when you do things that you know that your parents have told you not to do, you're sinning. You're going against their law. And you're not only sinning against your parents, you're sinning against God. You transgress the law. You're a transgressor. You need a Savior. You need a Savior. So we are commanded not to sin, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit continually wars against the flesh. We saw that in uh, Galatians chapter five. So we see uh, we, we sin is clearly uh, uh, proven from these verses. If any man sin, that is, if any man is in transgression. This word sin is the same Greek structure as Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. I want to read that. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4. I didn't take the time to read down, uh, to write down what that construction is, uh, or I would tell you. <clears throat> Luke 3, uh, 17, verse 3 and 4, Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee. Rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. But the word sin in 1 John 2.1 is the same word as trespass in Luke 17 verses 3 and 4. And these, are the, these three incidents are the only three times that Greek construction of that word is used. So it's more than just necessarily an act. It could be. but if any man sin, if any man trespass, you know what trespassing is, don't you? Driving down the road, you see a sign, do not trespass. That means don't cross this fence. The Greek word for sin is normally translated the idea of missing the mark. You've got a a bullseye on the target and you shoot your arrow and you miss the bullseye, you miss the mark. And I forgot about iniquity. (laughs) Uh, I think it's coming short of the mark. In other words, you draw a line in the sand and uh, when I was a boy, we used to uh, roll marvels or... uh, Well, I'll just leave it at marvels. And uh, whoever got the marble closest to the line, uh, say five boys rolled a marble toward the line, and uh, whoever got the marble the closest, he got the other four marbles. And but uh, so I believe that was the word for iniquity. But thanks be unto God. If any man sin, if he misses the mark, if he falls, if he oversteps the boundary or even falls short, we have an advocate with the Father. And the Lord willing will take up the advocacy somewhat this afternoon. But let me say this. The the, the advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Children, the advocate is like a lawyer. And our lawyer sues at the bar of justice righteously. He doesn't try to manipulate the law to get around it. Aren't you glad of that? Jesus Christ, the righteous. I don't know whether you know it or not, but in some law, legal situations when the lawyer has a trial by jury, he tries to ask questions in such a way to identify the jury, and if he can... And if the lawyer himself is a mason, he'll get other masons on the jury. And sometimes when he's arguing his case before the jury, and he reaches back his hand in a certain way, that's for him to make an appeal for the jury to vote on his behalf. That's our legal system. But Jesus Christ is not unjust. He sues at the bar of justice justly. Justly. Father, I have paid the debt. But we'll look at that, Lord willing, this afternoon. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You for forgiveness of sins. Thank You that we have an advocate (coughs) with You. Help us work within us, school us, And all that is needed that we endeavor to live and not sin. Not in some legalistic fashion of fearful that if we do some, don't do anything exactly right that You're going to hit us over the head. But simply because we love You. And we want to please You We want to delight in Your company. So help us, our God, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.